Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm a feminist, but... Hello, Cambridge! feminist but I'm most excited to be back live in a room with you and 75% of that is feminism but 25% of that is the ability to show off this sequined cloak if you're listening at home I'm just leaning left and right so that they can see that it says guilty feminist but either side of the mic uh, but I'm just going to do a quick turn Not all heroes wear capes, but lots of us do. I'm a feminist, but... I'm going to Botox my neck. (laughs) Yeah? Are you really? Yeah, I'm going to Botox it. I said to to a mate, I'm going to Botox my neck. She went, I don't think you can do that. I said, I think I'm going to (laughs) try. She said, no, I think if you do that, uh, you might not be able to swallow. I was like, I'm a lesbian. I don't need to. I mean, I will need to eat, so that is a problem still. Thought that bit through. But what if the what if a doctor won't do it because they don't do it there? Are you just going to get an at-home Botox kit? Well, you get a Botox kit, and this bit, this little scraggy little bit here. Oh, that's going to be like that. Bing. I don't know that you can get an at-home Botox kit legally. Any, is this Cambridge? There are probably lots of doctors in. And anyone, can anyone hook Jennifer Any Strupp with an illegal Botox kit? Any plastic surgeons in? Or, or you, don't, you don't have to be a proper plastic surgeon, just one of those high street shops. It's either that. It's either that or one of those um, bulldog clips at the back of the neck. 
everyone close their eyes. Just give us a, a if you've ever had Botox or similar. Oh, someone there very yeah, proud, waving her hand. the fucking lutely love. Can you do the neck? Why are you having Botox? You're 11 if you're a day. Listen, sweetheart, you wait till you get to 47, yeah? Botoxing from the ankles is it, up. Is it okay to ask how old you are? 34. Listen, Jen and I are going to take you out for drinks after this. And we're going to give you quite a few shots and a two-hour lecture on why you don't need Botox. Hmm? 32. Oh, they told you it was preventative, did they? <laughs> Do you know what else they tell you? Whole heap of shit. <laughs> Whole heap of patriarchy. They are the patriarchy. They told you it was preventative. They told you. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. Oh. <laughs> this never normally goes on this long. It's normally a one-liner situation. Listen, it was it's a throwaway gag. I'm not really Botoxing my fucking neck. <laughs> that, I'm glad you've said that or we'd get emails. Um, listen, we'll come back to you. Is you it, can I just ask your name? And you, do, you can use a false one if you want. Oh, no, I'm Amy. Okay. <laughs> oh, no, she's Jen. Oh, no, I'm Deborah. I'm a feminist, but when I came out of the station, I ordered a taxi and a taxi driver wouldn't come right next to the station. And my first thought was, but I'm a princess. (laughs) And then I cancelled it and I complained. (laughs) Did you? Yeah. Would you have done that if it had been a woman driver? Yeah. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't. I'm very respectful to women drivers. And if they try and lift my luggage, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. But men drivers, I really expect them to do the full works. Oh, yeah, they, I expect As far as I'm concerned, full... they can lift me to the, to, the, to the pavement. I'm all in for it. I just feel like we've got some equalising to do in the gender stakes. I'm expecting a cup of tea and some biscuits, even yeah. if it's six pounds. Yeah, you're, you're from France. So uh, in Britain, keep waiting. <laughs> Uh, I'm a feminist, but... Jessica Valsicure, everybody. Um, Today, they announced that they're giving Jim Davidson his own new panel show, anti-woke panel show. I'm a feminist, but if I was given the choice of having to be a captain on that for the entire series or being told I can never have a mini-egg again, (laughs) I'm afraid I am taking the job. (laughs) <laughs> I think you'd be on the snowflake side I thought you'd yeah. be captain of the snowflakes Yeah, I and just, then Jimmy can't I just, the... it'd basically be half an hour of other people talking to me crying <laughs> while scoffing mini eggs yeah 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 yeah. you'd need a lot more mini eggs to make up for the grief that that would bring to your life I've sort of, it's the time of year where I've sort of never not got a few on me <laughs> <laughs> listen some of us have carry on Botox kits some of us yeah. have a bag full of mini eggs yeah. it's never the same people you pick a lane I'm a feminist but uh, a few weeks ago an LGBTQ youth organisation uh, listed me as a role model Right, uh, some of the, I know, right, some of the young people listed me as a role model thank you and I couldn't be happy about it because in doing so they called me an elder of the community. Oh! Oh, no. And I, too, am 34. Oh, Amy, 
Amy, have you got your Botox kit on you? <laughs> oh, just at, if you're listening at home, we're not recommending Botox and we would never, ever have it. Or if we did, we wouldn't tell you because that wouldn't be right. <laughs> because we, we know that we have some influence and we would never tell you. So if I've ever had it, you will never know. And that's the best I can guarantee you. <laughs> Are you ready to start the show? Yeah. A huge round of applause for Jessica foster Grace Petrie, Jen Brister and Celia A.B. Four incredible women you'll be seeing a lot more of tonight, Cambridge. That's the theme tune going there. There you go. Uh, hello, Cambridge. Uh, it's lovely to be back out in real life, isn't it? I mean, I would have worn this on a Zoom, but it would have felt sad and lonely. Sitting there on a Zoom in sequins and pyjama bottoms, just, you know, with a secret water bottle full of rum or something like that, just crying into my delivery pizza, thinking, when? When will I be allowed to touch people again, feel their beating hearts? We're not meant to touch, I don't think, but let's... Oh, oh! Okay, let's... Oh, you're never washing the hand again. Have we learnt nothing from the pandemic? <laughs> Have we learnt nothing? Two happy birthdays. Two happy birthdays. No matter who you've touched. No matter who you've touched. What's your name? Rachna. Thank you so much, Rachna. Thank you for coming out. We, did you listen throughout the pandemic to The Good Feminist? Oh, Rachna. She's so wonderful. The rest of you can go. This is just now the evening of Deborah and Rachna. Uh, tonight, you are about to be part of the recording of a podcast. And The Guilty Feminist is a podcast about our noble goals as 21st century feminists and our hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. Thank you. And some of you will be new here and thinking, why did she say undermine them? And regulars know, I don't know. It's... <laughs> It's morphed. Well, I said it once. You know, each time you say the same thing, you give it a bit more welly. A bit, there's no way, even in a regular sentence, I can't say undermine now without that. I don't know why. I don't know why, but that's where we're at. Um, so I just want to find out from you, Cambridge. Uh, first of all, now I got told off last time I was at the exchange, which was 2019, because we made it two gown and not enough town. I got a number of emails saying, not all of us ride bicycles between pubs and libraries. Some of us have jobs and lives. So just give us a cheer if you would consider yourself gown. Wow. Just three people and me. I'd, I'd say this is gown uh, on the basis I'm wearing what could be an academic gown if what I was studying was RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, so just give us a cheer. If, if, you, if you gown, town. Okay, town wins tonight. Um, if you are looking for a chance to uh, beat up gown, you, you says your night. Because normally it's more 50-50. It's interesting, are students, are students not in session? Your students normally love this show. Oh, we're coming to Cambridge in the vacation. Oh, that was probably an error. <laughs> however, however, I'm so delighted that so many of you are here. Gowns who are still here, did you not know it was vacation? Just give us, a, if you're a gown and you're gown and you're still here, what's happened? Sad grad students. Oh, sad grad. Sad grad. Are you doing an M chill or what are you doing? That's what I hear the young people call it. 
I, you, you have to study through, so there's no just punting and, and, and drinks in fabulous quads for you. Courts, you call them here, don't you? Courts. Courts. You, what, what are you studying? Earth science says, good, we need more women in STEM. And also, with, uh, does earth science mean that you're going to save the climate crisis? Sadly, no. Another sadly. I feel you need to get happy and more positive <laughs> and say, yes, Deborah, I am going to be a big part in the solution for the climate crisis. Why, why are you saying no? You don't do climate, you do earthquakes. <laughs> Seems like you've missed the zeitgeist there, if I'm honest. Um, <laughs> No, listen, earthquakes are a very big problem and they are part of, I think, the climate crisis, aren't they? Is that right? Are they part of the climate crisis? That's debatable. Well, if there's anywhere to have a debate between a woman in STEM, a graduate in STEM, and someone who knows absolutely nothing but has a fantastic sequined cloak, then it's Cambridge. Then it's Cambridge, I think. Everywhere we go in the country, it's different. And I often say in Dublin, for example, they know how to bring a rock concert to a podcast recording. That's true. Go to Vicar Street, it's a rock concert. But in Glasgow, it's more of a revolution. Um, in Newcastle, a riot. In Manchester, a festival. You see what I mean. In Cambridge, um, what, what kind of vibe are you bringing? A soiree. Indeed, indeed. So at your soiree of feminism, at your feminist soiree, maybe the, perhaps the only feminist soiree in the world, um, what? I mean, some of the suffragettes were posh, weren't they? They probably had soirees. Um, some people are nodding and going, there are loads of feminist soirees, Deborah. You're just not being invited to them. I'm obviously mixing with the wrong feminists. I've not been, I might throw a soiree. Um, I mean, this cloak would certainly fit in. Um, at this feminist soiree, uh, could I have... A, a metric on where we're at. Maybe have a medium to low act of feminism just to start. Don't go in too high. I want more people. Yes, go on. My girlfriend is a plumber. I mean, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. My girlfriend's a plumber. Okay, all right. Is that an act of feminism? Because in a very real way, are you saying... She's the feminist for being a plumber or you're the feminist for going out with a woman who is a plumber? Because I think that's less, less arguable. I don't think you can just go out with someone who you think, come on, she gets her hands dirty by virtue of the fact there are no men here and one woman who knows how to unclog a loo. We've got this shit covered. We don't need the patriarchy. I mean, maybe there's a good answer for that. Okay, so are there many female plumbers, can I ask you? Where you live, no. Just you. You're the sole voice of Lady Plumbing. I'm a feminist, but I think I might have just said Lady Plumbing. I felt backed into a corner and up a U-burn, if I'm honest. I didn't know where I was going with the sentence. I don't think Lady Plumbing is. I think that's the kind of thing my dad would have said. She's a Lady Plumber. I'm so sorry. I'm sure you are, you're just a plumber. I don't like it when people say I'm a comedian, like a, like a lawyerette. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it when people say I'm a female comedian. I'm just a comedian. Uh, so likewise, I mean, it would be really insulting if, I, if anyone said you're a lady plumber. If anyone said that, no one has. <laughs> Tom knows I'm making the scissor fingers. Um, 
No, this is all in... This is, not those kind of scissor fingers. <laughs> the cutting room floor fingers, as opposed to any other kind of fingers that one might associate with scissors slash scissor ring. Any scissor sisters? Okay, all right. Uh, let's have a kiki. Lock the doors. That was a very clever segue, and if you didn't get it, that's on you. Famous Scissor Sisters song, etc. It is Scissor Sisters, isn't it? Yeah, okay. Why did that get not a better response then? That's on you, Cambridge. You're, you're meant to be of a very high level of sophistication. Yes, Plymouth is a hen night of a show. A hen night of a show. Um, but it is exactly the kind of place uh, where I would want someone to go, I'm married to a plumber. Um, <laughs> You're not married yet. I don't want to push the relationship. I'm just uh, don't you don't feel don't feel you need to propose now. You're not engaged, are you? What was that? Oh, I thought we were about to have a proposal. What do you do? You're a teacher. What do you? Oh, people are cheering for teacher. It's true. More people should have cheered for teacher. If you have children and you went through the lockdown, you should be cheering the fuck out of the word teacher, because you know what it was like. You know, you know what it was like. Uh, what do you teach? Drama and dance. Oh. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But I would like to be married to a dance teacher because I've been learning to dance. That would be very convenient. Do it at home. I'm not trying to come into... But also, I would li- it would be very convenient to be with a plumber as well. I'm not sure. Sh- Maybe there's a threesome here that we could get going. <laughs> This isn't... uh, See you afterwards. Okay, well, that's a lovely offer. I'll keep it in mind. Um, Okay, any other acts of feminism that are higher, that you... Or lower? Or lower? God, this is like... Higher, lower, generation game or something. What's yours? You started researching the impact of women who were not having their medical concerns taken seriously. It's really putting the plumber in the shade here. So is that, is that, yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. But what's going to happen when her loo gets blocked? That's all I'm asking. Um, great work, fantastic, very interesting. Any, have you got an insight for us? Is there any, anything you'd like to tell us very quickly? It not only changes their, their relationship with doctors, but also their, with their friends when they're not taken seriously. So you've seen the impact is then what they feel their friends won't take them seriously. They don't want to be honest with other people. Okay, interesting. Um, really interesting and terrible, by the way. That sounded like I was going, oh, interesting, lovely. Uh, okay, we should get you on the show at some point to talk about this. How long is your research? How far? Is... Master's level. Finished in August and then you're going on to do your uh, PhD. Hopefully if you get funding. Well, we need funding for that because that's a really important thing. So if you don't get funding, tell us and we'll do a whip round. <laughs> Great. Get in touch. Guiltyfeminist at gmail.com. Uh, who else? Smaller than that? That's okay. You, you see what happens when we set the bar too high? That was too good. That's too good. Other people are now putting their hands down. So we'll go lower, lower, lower. It, yes. It's your daughter. Oh, okay. Too sh- she was too shy to say it. 
She's 16. <gasps> Wonderful. So if you didn't hear that at home, is, uh, sorry, what's your name? Rachel, when Rachel's daughter um, came to see me, but she's not here tonight, and she was too shy to say it, so she wants her mum to say that when she's 16 years old, when she, she's walking down the road, if there's no room for two people to pass each other, if it's a man, she doesn't get out of the way. She waits for him to get out of the way. Excellent. That's what our team should be doing. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if you remember this. Years ago on the podcast, I tried this experiment, and this man, this huge man, and I, I found myself ducking because I was like, oh my God, they're going to hit me. And then I thought, what's the worst that can happen? I can get knocked to the ground. I bet I can take it. So I kept walking up. This man was like really, really big, um, like broad and tall and stuff. And I was just like, I'm just going to see what happens and I'll play chicken. And at the very last moment, he went, and he went, Jesus Christ. And he was so angry because his experience was everyone gets out of his way and it's his normal. So he thought I was rude. His wife laughed loudly. Um, Any more? Any more for any more? Yes? Yay! Um, what's your name? Ellie. Ellie. Ellie says, when her horrible manager, and she was blatant about that, wasn't she? <laughs> Leaving no nuance, when her horrible manager said she was difficult, uh, she had a necklace made that said difficult, and now she wears it to meetings. <laughs> Stares him right in the eye, my friends. Read the necklace, bitch. And guess whether I've had Botox on this neck. Hi, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah Francis White speaking. I have to tell you something very exciting. I'm doing a screening of a brand new film and then a deep dive conversation with Emma Thompson herself co-hosting The Guilty Feminist. It's 7.30 p.m. on the 13th of May. The film is incredible. It's about a woman in her 60s exploring her sexuality for the first time. The film stars Emma Thompson and Daryl McCormack. It's basically a two-hander, and he will be there too. It's absolutely incredible. Do not miss it. Get tickets now. They are only a fiver. 13th of May, 7.30pm. We are coming all over the UK and to Australia and New Zealand. If you would like to be in the audience for one of our big live shows in which we are also recording this podcast, then book right now. On the 29th of May and the 26th of June, Jessica Regan is doing her big speeches workshop. Uh, which allows you to step into your power when you speak and present. If anyone's working uh, in activism or advocacy on Roe versus Wade in America, she has said she'll give you a free space because she knows how important that is. And you can support us on Patreon and be the first to know about new events, get regular Zoom hangouts with me, and get an ad-free version of the show. And now back to the podcast. Are you ready to start the show, Cambridge? Then put your hands together and make incredible, welcoming, woohooing noises for the wonderful Jan Brester! Oh, hi. What a bloody treat it is to be out, isn't it? Isn't it? 
listen, I'm looking around and I'm seeing some masks. That is absolutely incredible. I've been doing loads of gigs all over the place, up and down the country, not a single fucker with a mask because everyone's just like, what's COVID? It's over, isn't it? <laughs> Spit in my mouth. Nana's got to die at some point. Come on. It's like it never fucking happened. One in 15 people with COVID. No, don't fucking worry about it. Nice to be out though, isn't it? Nice to be out. Is it though? (laughs) Is it? Listen, Amy, we've talked already. 34, go fuck yourself. 47, listen, it's not old. I know that. Still got it. Got something, got something. Probably COVID actually. Um, (laughs) But I'm telling you what I have got. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm very tired. All of the time. Yeah. So I, I, I love, but it's great to be here. But also, I want to be at home. Yeah. I want to be at home. Now, listen, not during lockdown, I didn't. I wanted to be out with my mates, living the Vida Loca. Yeah? You can only see your friends on Zoom. What was that? Rubbish, wasn't it? You see your mate on Zoom going, what is this, babe? I miss you, I miss your face. It's a two-dimensional conversation that we're having and I miss you, babe. And you'd, think, you'd be like, mate, when things open up, we're going to go out, we're going to get pissed, we're going to be living the vida local, it's going to be the colour of mocha, we're going to paint the town page, it's going to fucking kick off, Yeah? Opened up June 2020, put a date in the diary, cemented it in the calendar. We're going out. It's going to be fucking mental. And then that day loomed, that day arrived. And oh my God, did I hope and did I pray that she would cancel. Yeah? Of course I did. If anything, I missed Zoom gigs. Yeah, not while I was doing them, obviously. They were shit while I was doing them. I mean, who wants to do a gig on Zoom? I thought, what is this? Is this stand-up comedy or just a middle-aged beige lesbian having a breakdown in front of a laptop? What is this? <laughs> what is this? You know? But now I look back at those heady days, yeah, when I'd be in the kitchen with my girlfriend. I said, I'm just going to pop upstairs, sweetheart. Yeah, do a little cheeky gig on Zoom. Go upstairs. Yeah, walk into the office, open up a laptop. Pow! 15 minutes of dynamic stand-up comedy. Bam. I've made 11 quid. Never going to get that back. That's gone. (laughs) Those days are over, yeah? What did we learn? What have we learned in the last couple of years about ourselves, about society? What have I learned about myself as an individual? I'll tell you what I've learned, yeah? Here's something I've learned. When I ask people how they are, turns out, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) Now listen. (laughs) Listen, I need to couch that. Basically, what I mean is, when I was in lockdown, yeah, it was shit, yeah? I didn't want to hear from you if you were having a good time. I didn't want to hear... I live in Brighton. Everyone's really upbeat. Come on! Let's just bloody well get on with it. Let's be motivated. Let's make the best of things. Let's just... 
listen, it, we can grow as people, <laughs> can't we? That's to take this time to really invest in ourselves, <laughs> really spend time with the family, spend time with our children, hmm? with our partners. Yeah? Listen, we've taken up hobbies. We're, do- we're, we're baking sourdough. We're doing yoga with Adrienne. Hang on, hang If you live in Brighton, why the fuck are you baking sourdough? That whole city is made of sourdough, yeah? Do you know what I'd like? A tiger loaf. That's all I want. I don't want to hear from you if you're having a good time. I don't want to hear from celebrities ever. Yeah? I don't want to hear from Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. Now, I don't know what it is about Gwyn. In fact, I fucking do. It's that hammock that costs $65,000. If you have a hammock that costs sixty, there should be shame attached to owning a hammock. This is my hammock. Go fuck yourself, Gwyn. Something about Gwyneth, her hammock. I just can't stop following her on all of her socials. Do you know what I mean? I'm on there. I'm on Instagram. I'm on fucking TikTok. I'm just following everything she fucking does. Do you, is there anyone that you hate follow on social media? Is there anyone that you look at their stuff and you go, oh, you fucking bellend? It's me and Gwyn. Okay. Now, listen, I'm not proud of that. I'm a feminist, but Gwyneth Paltrow gets on my fucking tits and I can't stop talking about it. <laughs> March 2020, she got on the old social media on Instagram. Yeah. Just as lockdown happened, she said something like this. This is a time for nesting. This is a time for reading. This is a time to learn a new language. This is a time to pick up a musical instrument. I thought, are you on glue, Gwyn? (laughs) I don't know what your setup is at home, but I can tell you what mine is. I'm trapped in the house with my twin five-year-old boys who I am having to homeschool. And what I've learned from homeschooling my children is this. I have all the authority of Matt Hancock in a SAGE meeting. They do not respect me. They do not respect me, yeah? Right, so you'll forgive me if I don't have time to pick up a bit of cheeky mandarin or learn the pianoforte. So why don't you take your vagina candle and shove it up your gluten-free chuff, love? Anyway, she's blocked me now. Um... spent so much time on goop instagram thinks it knows me yeah instagram thinks it doesn't know me yeah do you know about goop have you been on goop that's gwyn's uh, website it's a health and well-being and lifestyle for women it's everything on a website that a woman does not need <laughs> spent so much time on goop instagram's like babe i know you i know what you need What you want is a little bit of a deodorant for your vagina. Yeah? Yeah, a little bit of a deodorant. Yeah, a little bit of a deodorant for the old vajayjay. Yeah? Aerosol, what the fuck? I mean, not even a roll-on. I could lean into that, do you know what I mean? That I could get. Aerosol. What the? Instagram, you do not know me. Yeah? 
And I'm going to tell you something. I think I can say for a fact that there is not a single woman in the world, yeah, that needs to deodorise her vagina. There's not a woman in the world that needs to do that. And let me tell you, if, right, if, as a woman, you're at home, maybe in your bedroom, and you find yourself... You better get yourself to the GP, right, and get some antibiotics. Because <laughs> there's not a can of Febreze that's going to help that out, okay? <laughs> Go to your GP, all right? I tell you my problem with goop. It's, it, it, it's, the, it's the flagrant capitalism of it. I can't bear it. But then it's couched in this idea that it's for women. But it's just monetizing women's neurosis. That's all it's doing. It fucking does my head in. There's nothing on there that we need. Even like they, they give you suggestions for makeup routines. There's a no makeup makeup routine. I was like, are you taking the piss? <laughs> a no makeup makeup routine? Listen, I'm a 47-year-old lesbian. I've been practicing that for free my entire life, okay? <laughs> a no makeup makeup routine. Even the shit on there that you think, oh, I could make use of that, yoga mat. Now, there's probably a lot of people in the room here tonight. You've got a yoga mat, yeah? Maybe it's under the stairs. It's collecting dust, right? But you've got a yoga mat. You picked it up at Sports Direct or Decathlon or something. Probably cost you a tenner. You can get yourself, <laughs> you can get yourself one on Goop. Anything between 45 and 65 pounds? Yeah? Get yourself on Goop. Get yourself a little yoga mat for 50 quid. Yeah? Do you want to do it? I'm like, why the fuck does it cost that much money? When you can get one for 10, what is it that you give? What is it that I want extra? Do you know what I mean? I want, if, you're, if I'm spending 50 quid on a fucking yoga mat, love, I want extra. I want something. I'll tell you what I want. When I'm doing Downward Dog, I want a little tickle on my clit. I... <laughs> Yeah, you're with me. <laughs> yes, Gwyn, I'm into it. I'm into it. <laughs> she had a makeup routine up there a couple of months. It was called the post-orgasm glow. That, got, that really fucked me off. That made me viscerally angry. The post-orgasm glow. So what is, is that, is that, what is that? Is that something as women we're aspiring to? Is the post-orgasm glow as a look? You know, when you're getting ready on a Saturday night, yeah, maybe you catch yourself in the mirror and you think, yeah, that does look good, but something's missing. <laughs> because I do not look like I have recently been fucked. <laughs> Better get on the old post-orgasm glow. <laughs> Just a means to sell you products you don't need, Yeah. If you wanted to achieve that post-orgasm glow on Goop, you've got to buy all these different makeup products. There's a whole list. If you were to buy all of them on that list, it would have cost you £800. £800 to achieve a post-orgasm glow. Yeah? Do you know what I thought to myself? I could do that. <laughs> yeah? Couldn't I? I could spend... £800 to achieve that post-orgasm glow, couldn't I? 
mean, fuck it, I could do it. No, I could spend 800, fuck it. Yeah, I could spend 800 pounds to achieve that post-orgasm glow. Or, I could have a wank. And I did. And do you know what? I look brilliant. I mean, so I think Gwyn's onto something. I mean, I've got, I think I've got PTSD. Do you know what I mean? From, I think I've got PTSD from lockdown as a pet. Some of you might have kids. Some of you are very young. You don't have kids. Some of you might have young kids. Some of you might have kids that are teenagers. I don't know. If you've got kids that are teenagers, they're out. And they go, they're like, I'm, I'm going to my room. Bye. Bye, and you might not see them for a few hours. Bless. <laughs> My two, five, they're like that. There. <laughs> Just there. For two fucking years, right? <laughs> Just, Just there. Listen, we... Fucking hell. We just wanted a bit of time to ourselves. You know, that's all we wanted. So we panicked, we chucked money at it, and we bought them some walkie-talkies. We thought that'll distract them. Because that's what you do when you're not a very good parent. You throw money at things, yeah? We bought them these walkie-talkies. We were like, great, they can get distracted. We can take them out, yeah? Because all the, all the playgrounds were shut. We can take them out to some patch of grass and they can just fuck him. Yeah? Bye-bye-bye-bye. But there were five at the time. I don't know if you've ever tried to show a five-year-old how to use the walkie-talkie. Save your breath. <laughs> it is utterly painful. It's one of the most painful experiences of your life. Yeah? didn't take a couple of hours. It took three weeks. <laughs> right, darling, what you do is you press it when you want to speak and then you let go when you don't want to... No, you, just listen to me. You press it. No, you have to... Pre- you're, well, yeah, I know you're speaking. Press it, but you have to... But when you're talking into it, what you do is you press... Well, he can hear you because he's standing next to you. Do you understand what I'm doing? <laughs> Fucking hell. Absolute pricks. Uh, I... <laughs> Eventually, they, we, they figure it out, yeah? We think, great, we'll take them out, we'll get distracted, right? But of course, you know, um, they're five, so they don't want to go anywhere. They want to be near us, right? So we're here, they're there. They're like, but mama, we don't even know what to say to each other. What do we, what do we, what do we, what do we even say, mama? What do we even say? It was like, oh my, Jesus motherfucking Christ. <laughs> okay, just, just give me that, right? You say something like, um, remember, press it when you want to speak. And then you say something like, can you hear me? Over. Okay, and then you focus. You then know to speak. Because he said over. So then you know to speak. And you might say, yes, I can hear you. And then you just have a conversation. And then you go, bye, 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 bye. So we're here, they're there. And genuinely, all my girlfriend and I can hear is this. Can you hear me over? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me over? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me over? Yeah, I can. I can hear you. Can 
Yeah, I can't hear you. Can you hear me over? Yeah, I can't hear you. Can you hear me over? I can, I can hear you. Can you hear me over? Yeah, I can, I can hear you. I can hear you, can you hear me over? Yeah, I can hear you, I can hear you. Can you hear me over? Yeah, I can, I can hear you. Can you hear me over? I can hear you, can you hear me over? I can hear you. Can you shut up? Shut up! Stop asking if you can hear each other. You can hear each other because he's talking and you're talking and you can fucking hear each other. Give me that. Over. If you want to come and see me, I'll be back here in November. So uh, it'd be lovely to see you. But otherwise, thanks very much. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Good night. Jen Brester, everybody. Isn't she amazing? I'll tell you how amazing Jen Brister is. She's so amazing, I forgot my cloak. Because I went off stage, went to the loo. And then uh, you have to take the full jumpsuit down. This is the disadvantage of a jumpsuit. If this were a dress, I'd still have my cloak on, right? Because you go to the loo in a cloak, sure. It's a sequin cloak, it's not a long cloak, it's fine. I don't want you imagining that now, that's awkward. <laughs> but this is the situation that stands. So I had to take off the cloak, take down the jumpsuit, etc. And then, we're backstage, I don't mind telling you, we've just gone and got some tie from the giggling squid. I say we, we've made men do it for us. <laughs> we ordered it, we ordered it, and then a man went over, came back, no cutlery, the man had to go back again and has come back with proper cutlery, and they just said, just bring it back when you're done. So this is Cambridge. This is the first city where we've been given proper cutlery, and the trust, the assumption of trust that comedians would bring back cutlery, the misplaced trust. <laughs> the giggly squid's never seeing this again. I think we all know that to be true. It's just going to get sucked up into the corn exchange. Some of us in our bags, it's silverware. Um, but then I'm backstage, and I hear a loud cheering and applause, and I think, oh my God, she's done, and I'm not ready. So I'm sp I've, got, I've thrown down my squid, and I've forgotten about my cape, and I sprint to the stage, and Stuart, the tour manager, goes, no, no, that was just an applause break. It's six minutes in. <laughs> I think that's rude. I said to the other comedians, I don't want any applause breaks. I don't want any cheering and applause in the middle of your set. It panics me. They said, no problem, it's not going to come up. <laughs> but I am sure it will. I'm sure it will for our next comic. She's absolutely incredible. She's an emerging comic. Um, uh, just before I bring her on, what was your act of feminism? You found your 13-year-old son. Well done! He was looking at manga porn. He was looking at manga porn. Oh, Sally, it'll be a while till you're on. Sorry. I got you excited. I just thought I'd have a little nubbin to then sort of link to you. What, he was looking at manga porn. Was it the wrong kind of 
violent. That porn's not real. So you chatted to your son about porn not being real. I think the manga element gives it away in a way. But um, this is probably a longer conversation to unpack because it's complex in 21st century intersectional feminism about pornography. It's not funny. And I have... I am so admiring that you had a chat to your son and you talked to him. It was awful. It was the worst conversation of your life. Listen, what, just give her a, a big cheer for having the worst conversation of her life and actually addressing it. And keep that applause going for this comedian you're going to see at the Edinburgh Festival. She's just won the Total Best Newcomer Award. We're so lucky to have her. And she is the wonderful Celia A.B. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Are you well? It's so, I don't know why the music is on. <laughs> uh, my name is Celia. It's so lovely being here. I love Cambridge. I love it so much. I always say there's no Kent in Cambridge because of the privilege. <laughs> it's so nice to see it. You know what I mean? It's so nice to see it. Um, my name is Celia A.B. I'm from Paris. Correct. Um, I'm not from the nice bit of Paris, though. I'm very brave. Uh, I'm from the outskirts. We like to call it the Wolverhampton of France. <laughs> I'm not just French. I'm French-Algerian. That's where the face is from. Um, <laughs> are you ever, like, out and about and you're walking by yourself because you're confident and independent and it's very, a very busy street and you're walking next to a family and before you know it, you're, like, part... Uh, <laughs> of that family, do you know what I mean? And I'm like, I'm mixed, so I'm hitting like three, four markets. <laughs> and I was in Oxford Circus in London, and um, I was walking in with this big family, and she must have been Algerian or Moroccan, because she looked at me. <laughs> as if to say, that's one of mine, isn't it? <laughs> And she chanced it. She went, do you want to go to Zara? <laughs> and I went, yeah. <laughs> she got me new trousers. <laughs> um, I'm going through a breakup, sad bit. Um, and uh, it's fine. We, um, we broke up over the fact that, it's very friendly, but we broke up over the fact that we realized that we disagreed on everything. Um, <laughs> And then we did agree to break up. So for a bit, like, what a pickle. <laughs> he, um, we moved in together during lockdown. He met my mom, actually. And my, the only thing you need to know about my mom is she's lovely. She's French. She's a bit clumsy. Um, when she found out I was bi, she said, oh, why? <laughs> But I believe it's my role to educate her. She grew up in a small Muslim country. It's outside Slough. It's very difficult for her. <laughs> That's where Algeria is. Um, it's very hard for her to understand. So I thought, do you know what? It's my role to educate her. Mom, the reason I am by is because of the vaccine when I was eight years old. <laughs> That's how it happens. What you need to know about my mom is that she's kind of... She's not stupid... 
but she's not really, she doesn't know about culture very much. She's insanely smart, but she's not linked to culture. Um, about seven years ago, before I moved to England, I convinced her to get a cat, and I called that cat Ewan McGregor. <laughs> it's seven years later, my mom doesn't know who Ewan McGregor is. <laughs> so there's just a random French woman in Paris going, Ewan McGregor! And I, I feel a bit of responsibility, because if it was up to me, he would have never, ever done train spotting too. <laughs> but I was made redundant um, about two years ago, and I had to apply for jobs. I think applying for jobs is so hard, right? Because you're sending out your CV in a nice format, and then you're hoping that it doesn't end up in the bin. <laughs> now, I did this thing, right? I emailed this company. I was perfect for the role. This is the email I sent. I said... Hello, as discussed, please find a time to my CV. With all the relevant experience, I think I'd be a great fit as an administrator in your team. Kind regards, Celia. Now, what I had attached was not <laughs> my CV. It was 60 dick jokes <laughs> <laughs> that I had written for the radio before. <laughs> now, 60 as well. 60. Now, the problem is when you've attached the wrong thing, for ages, you don't know you've done that. <laughs> so I was walking around just going, oh, I smashed that. <laughs> I like what I did with the kind regards. That was classic. Yeah. Going to hear back from that one. Three days later, I get an email back from Emily. Emily says, hi, Celia. What? <laughs> you seem to have attached the wrong thing. Can you please explain? Can regards Emily. At this point, I realized what I'd done. If you're just catching up, I attached 60 dick jokes. <laughs> um, and I, I replied straight away. I said, I'm so sorry, Emily. I explained I'm a comedian. I write jokes. I've attached the wrong thing. Please find a time for my correct CV with all the relevant information. I would completely understand if you don't want to give me a chance. Uh, <laughs> but I hope you can have a look at it. Can't regard Celia. I thought I'm never going to hear back from Emily. And fair enough, actually. <laughs> 20 minutes later, I get an email back. Hi, Celia. We've decided not to look at your CV. We actually liked some of the dick jokes. <laughs> Would you like to come in for an interview? <laughs> Amazing, right? Now, I show up to this interview. I'm nervous. I'm trying to remember all the dick jokes. <laughs> Case they asked. No idea what the job was, just dick, 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 dick. <laughs> Emily's there. She's sitting down. She's very corporate. She looks amazing, so corporate. And she's sitting down, and she's kind of like giving me a little smirk. She's going, it's pretty crazy, huh? I'm like, what? She's like, it's crazy we gave you an interview after the, the dick jokes. And I'm like, yeah, you guys are wild. <laughs> now, me and Emily really got on. Really, really got on. She ended the interview by saying, we think you'd be a great fit. Would you like to take the job? Obviously, I said no. Because <laughs> they're really unprofessional. <laughs> <laughs> You've been so adequate, honestly. You smashed that, all of you. Laughed at the right places, 
didn't laugh at the right places, smashed it on your end. Um, I'm going to bring back up your host, Deborah Francis White. audience of your generation and please demonstrate that now with cheering clapping smashing the patriarchy loudly to bring on one of your very guilty feminist favorites she's all over the telly she is the mistress the imagination behind hench and now on tour in autumn wench it's the incredible jessica foster q Could you tell that was awkward? I was going to go for a cuddle, but she'd gone. <laughs> um, lovely to be here again with you, Cambridge. Um, the, um, the first time I ever came to Cambridge to do a Guilty Feminist, it was when the Guilty Feminist was quite new, and I very shocked you. Um, and at the beginning, we had to do, I'm a feminist, but, and then you do like a joke. And, um, and I don't think you were ready for my one, Cambridge. <laughs> um, I did, um, I'm a feminist, but sometimes in bed, I like to be slapped around the face. <laughs> yeah. Even now, it splits the room. I've got no idea why I've opened with it. Um, um, I am a feminist, but they just handed me this, and I genuinely thought, hmm, surprisingly heavy, actually. Um, fair one with a lead, I can just sort of pop in a... Um, no, um, great. Exciting to be out again, isn't it? Next to each other, huffing and snuggling. I'd really miss cuddles, did you? I don't think it's controversial to say oh, I've had enough of COVID now. Um, I'm not for any of the sort of like, oh, I don't know. I think you've got to do whatever the rules are, you've got to do, etc. But my issue with it is, I don't think the human beings were designed to be a bit scared for two years. And I'm just going to say it. I think it's made us weird. <laughs> I think it's made us strange. I sort of lost all my small talk. I found myself going straight to big talk. <laughs> I, I, all my social skills went to shit. I saw some people I hadn't seen for a couple of years at a gig, and um, I walked in. They did. They did very well. They were lovely. They sort of went, "Oh, hi, how you doing? Oh my god, I love your earrings!" Like, not you know, nice. And I went, "Well, do you want to see these two ulcers?" <laughs> I don't. I don't think you're meant to do that, are you? I, think, I don't think we'll even really can see the extent of how weird it will have all made us yet because it's all still too fresh, too raw, isn't it? I think we've got to wait, give it sort of 20, 25 years. This will be my favourite bit where we get to, we'll go to parties with all the adults who were the babies that never went out. <laughs> They're going to be fun, aren't they? <laughs> Hello, Dave. Like, hi, hi. You all right, Dave? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, I mean, has anyone seen my mum? Oh. Um, and we're very quick, weren't we, to call it history. Um, the actual, hi I keep calling it that, it's called the Natural History Museum. Um, I like to call it the Actual History Museum. Um, they, I don't know if you know this, talk about Jump the Gun. About a year and a half into the pandemic, they already began collecting and displaying COVID-related knickknacks. Did you know that? Vaccine vase, bits of PPE, even official lectern signage. That's all in the Natural History Museum now with, like, the penny farthings and the DVDs. Get ahead of yourself. What I love about that is that it's a reminder, isn't it, that all big history, like pandemics, gets made romantic, doesn't it? It all gets made cute and nostalgic. That's what we love to do with big history. And I feel very sorry for, say, people over the age of 80, 85, because they've got to witness the fact that so many of us have got a mug or a tea towel that says, keep calm and carry on. 
not just as a matter of taste, but for them, they're probably thinking, guys, I mean, it was actually a war. <laughs> Glad you got your souvenir. Well, it's worse for us, isn't it? When we're really old, there is going to be some prick with driftwood above his breakfast bar that says, hands, face, space. They're even talking about building a whole new museum just about COVID. No, thank you. I don't want to go. Can't be fucked to go. No fucking thanks. Unless they make it as good as the Jorvik Viking Centre. <laughs> Give us a cheer if you've been. <gasps> if you haven't, you haven't lived. It's amazing. If you haven't been, it's in York. It's a museum about Vikings. It's an immersive experience made on a very low budget. <laughs> And therein lies the charm. They, like, you dress as a Viking, get, go in a little chariot, and, like, you get, and you get, they, they, everything smells of Vikings. And if they do that about COVID, let's go. We're <laughs> amazing. In 50 years, they'll send kids on school trips, and they'll, they'll have to dress up as a sort of COVID era, just a papery blue mask. Um, they'll put them in the little chariot, and they'll send them around the lockdown era reenactment village, won't they, the children? Bring the era back to life using the smells of the time. Hand sanitizer. <laughs> Miss, that's nice. That, yeah, banana bread. Very good. That's, that's quite nice. That quite, yeah, sourdough. And they'll have waxwork reenactments of the COVID era homes, won't they, for the children to learn about the sort of different family dynamics that we had and the fashions and how the children will be able to see all the different types of leggings that we had. And they'll have bigger figures, waxwork figures, are the prominent figures of the era, won't they, for the children to learn about. And they'll go, Miss, what about that one then? Was he the one who united them all? Or was he the one who they all found themselves sitting down to listen to what he had to say at the same time every night, even through the darkest days? And the teacher will go, yes, they called him their Tiger King. And a bit further round, won't they? They'll go, Miss, what about him then? Was he the one that they all loved? Was he the one who the, whose actions saved lives? Was he the one who they couldn't have done without? And the teacher will go, yes, that's Marcus Rashford. <laughs> <laughs> and all the way around, there'll be a tune playing, won't there? And the, the children will go, what's up? The Vera Lynn of the year. Was that, was this the tune that rallied the spirits of the masses? And the um, teacher will go, yes, it was. And if you listen carefully, you can hear the profound and stirring lyrics. Did somebody say, just eat? <laughs> what a thrilling bit of history we have made. I think we should all feel very brave and very proud. Um, I didn't intend to spend... One big sort of surprise for me is I never had intended to spend anywhere near as much time as I have in the last two years with my own child. <laughs> um, I've got one. He keeps getting older. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with my stand-up, but as a toddler, I really rang him dry uh, for material. Um, it was easy to... He was a sexist thug. He was a one-man stag do. He was hard work. And now he's six. In terrible news for my comedy, but great news for my life. He's becoming increasingly lovely and reasonable. Um, but still big-headed, thank God. Um, I've made another overconfident middle-class white man. Um, he, he's incredibly sure that he's right about everything. And he, hasn't, he isn't, doesn't do none problematic behaviour anymore. Um, he came home from school recently and went, Mummy, I've been talking about my willy at school. 
Please don't, can you not? Please don't do that. That's my parenting there. Can you feel the authority coming off me? <laughs> oh, can you please fucking stop that? <laughs> He's, um, please, oh, please don't. He went, oh, I talk about it in front of my teacher. I go, please, can you not then? He went, she doesn't mind. She doesn't mind as long as we use the science words. I said, what, penis? And he went, yeah, penis, vagina and tentacles. <laughs> Good one, isn't it? And I am... Um, <laughs> um, I'm not with his dad anymore. But we've got this, like, arrangement not to correct any of these malaprops anymore because I hate the speed at which he's growing up. And sort of all I've got left, really, are these words that he says wrong, you know, his malaprops. I'm not giving him new things to say wrong, but I am trying to hold back from <laughs> correcting any of them. And you might think that sounds cruel, but imagine how fun it would be <laughs> if you met a man in his 20s who <laughs> called them his tentacles. I think that's when we'll know feminism's work is done. Isn't it? How joyful. And everyone's in on it. whole family are in on it. Siri and Alexa, they're in on it. Because <laughs> he says musicians wrong, but they just play it right. He'll go, hey, Siri, play me the music of Justin Bieber. <laughs> she plays Bieber. He gets suspicious. He'll be like, mummy, I can't read now. But I can't see an M in it. So are you sure it is pronounced Minja? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. He goes, All right. As long as you're not telling me porcupines. <laughs> We had an awkward one recently, right? So I am, um, I like to wang on and on and on about having minimal to none shame around eating, right? It's one of my favourite things to go on and on about, like a whole podcast about it, right? I really love eating, not just food, eating. So I'm trying really hard to bring up my son with a good relationship to eating, right? A shame-free relationship to eating and his body. Um, but <laughs> it's tricky when they're six, isn't it? Because some of the shit they ask for. Uh, we were at home, right? And um, as a classic geriatric millennial move, I was having an alcohol-free beer. And um, he went, can I try that? And I thought, what's the harm? What's the harm? I didn't like beer until I was in my 20s, I don't think. There's absolutely no chance he's going to... Oh, well, he fucking sculled it. <laughs> it's a glass bottle I didn't even know he could drink like that. No bubbles came up. I went... I had to fucking prize it out of his massive hand. Get that off. Get, all right, don't have, okay, don't have it all. He was like, that's so nice. That was so nice, mummy. That was real nice. I like that flavours. That was real nice. That taste was so nice. I prefer that to black lemonade. Um, I, not correcting it. Um, that's so delicious. I really loved that taste. And I was like, okay. And then he starts asking for it out and about. What am I going to fucking do with that? <laughs> No, you can't have, no, like, and he's not stupid, well, he's medium. He, <laughs> he'll be like, why can't I have a donut stand? Why can't I have it? It hasn't got any alcohol in it. It's got little sugar in it and, and, and juice things and there's no caffeine in it. I don't understand why I can't have it. And I'm having to find myself sort of king of the absence of shame going, because it's not a good look <laughs> for mummy. We, um, we went recently back to a place um, where we'd had the most extraordinary time the first time we went. It was um, Bristol Zoo, right? 
Yeah, lovely. I don't know if you're just from Bristol or a big fan of zoos, but yeah, it's just a great zoo. <laughs> it's, just a, it's a lovely zoo, isn't it? Have you been? Yeah. Um, it's got a couple of lions. That's like the big, like, woohoo, isn't it? There's, there's a, I was going to say a mummy and a daddy lion, but it's a bit heteronormative, isn't it? It's guilty feminist. It's a male and a female lion. Um, I, I assume they're fucking. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're there, right? And, um, and so we, we went recently. It was amazing. But it, and this time we got roared at. Have you heard a lion roar up close? Ooh, it's, it's, it's not, not sexy. Um, it, uh, but, uh, the first time we went, right, I had a memorable time. Um, my son was somewhere between one and a half and two and a half. Now, I don't know, it gives a cheer. Have you got kids? Okay, um, so you'll know what happens is as soon as it's born, um, you'll go, there it is, and I'll, someone will go, oh my God, brand new, that is a lovely age. And then whatever age it is, one month, three months, six months, people go, oh my God, that's such a lovely age. <laughs> 39 years, oh my God, that's such a nice age. People will say, whatever your age of your child is, okay, that's such a lovely age. And it never is. Um, <laughs> Not that it isn't, but all the ages are shit and good at simultaneously, right? There's no one lovely age. Also, no, kids aren't the, they're not all the same. Fuck's sake. Anyway, it's a silly thing to say. Um, it, it, but objective truth, facts, if that's what you're after, um, between one and a half and two and a half years old is the worst. That's the worst age. Because um, what you've got there is a person who is as fast, as powerful, and as strong as an adult, but who is still very much as thick as a baby. Um, and that is the hardest to keep alive or to pretend to enjoy the company of. And that's the age my son was when we went to Bristol Zoo the first time. And there's these two lions, right? And the, and the female lion is asleep, right? And the, the, the man lion is huge, is circling his rightfully massive enclosure and stopping only once on each lap, right? And the once that he's stopping is to stand, this glass there, obviously, but inches away from my infant son's face, <laughs> licking his great big sexy man lion lips. <laughs> he is enormous, right? And he is just there. And my son is so small and therefore so silly that he's like, ah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> even though my heart is going, do, 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 do. This thing is a beast. His eyeball is bigger than his stupid little head. It, it, and then he does another lap and it stops at him again. I was like, do, 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 do. what the fuck? Does my baby smell of steak? Like, ah. Oh. And by the third one, I was like, well, what is wrong with those other delicious children? This, I was terrified. I thought I wet myself a bit. <sighs> Like, you know, I was like, God, this is... I'm not sure if I'm having fun. Like, I know this glass. I'm going to fucking move on, actually. Like, don't... Anyway, I thought, how funny that, like, that was that... Like, that was that close to him and he didn't even really notice. Anyway, I thought... um, I had underestimated him. Um, Because an hour later, in the car, and he went, Mummy. He sat in the back, obviously, in his special seat. Mummy. Then he just started doing sentences as well. Mummy, that lion spoke to me. Yeah, wow. And I was like, whoa. You know, even he, at that tiny young age, has acknowledged that there was something a bit fucking amazing about being allowed to be that close to a massive, majestic predator 
yet still be saved, to be chosen by an animal that should be wild, like to be that close to something that dangerous, perhaps they'd had some kind of connection. Maybe he's just had his first memory. Even he, this basic bitch, can tell that there was something extraordinary about that moment. There's a moment, a pinpoint has gone in the map of the journey of his life. Something incredible has happened. This is a bit... And I said to him, what did the lion say to you? And he said, he said, hello, I a lion. You have been so lovely. I'm bringing my new show, Wench, on tour to Cambridge on the 8th of October, by the way. And if only 10% of you came, it would sell out. <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs> Jessica Foster-Q, everybody. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Cambridge. Are you ready for the second half of The Guilty Feminist? In you for one night only, it's your host, Deborah Francis-White and Jessica Foster-Q. Hello, 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 hello. as you ride a bike or something. Uh, just give us a cheer. What do you do when you, uh, when you listen to The Guilty Feminist? Just give us a cheer if you do it while being on transport. Woo! Give us a cheer if you do it while you're doing household chores. Woo! Yeah, there's a lot of ironing. Just I don't know if you do it while you're do- practicing your fighting. <laughs> practicing fighting? What, like yeah, suffragettes? Well, I think we just went transport and then we did quite an unfeminist example of house chores. But I know so them. I went... There were so many of them that cheered for ironing. Oh, really? Mm. No, someone said, I don't do ironing. Okay. Sorry, yes, fighting, good. You do feminist ones. Sorry, I did guilty ones. Um, give us a cheer if um, you listen to guilty feminists when you were doing your weightlifting. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, give us a cheer if you listen to guilty feminists when you're doing your weightlifting. <laughs> well done, well done. Give us a cheer if you listen to you. guilty feminists as you fall asleep. Oh. Yes. Now, I had this recently and I was not best pleased. Yes, I was going to say. But it turned out, but Sarah Pascoe convinced me because the person went, no, 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 because I listen again in the morning. It's just, you lull me to sleep and, you know, it's lovely. And I'm like, no, I don't like it. But Sarah Pascoe said, no, it's really intimate because you're whispering in their ear and they've got their headphones in and you're, you're really close to them. And it's really lovely. So if you are falling asleep right now, as you listen to this, sweet and feminist dreams... May all your dreams be patriarchy-smashing ones. And in the morning, you're going to awake fresh, courageous, and ready for the battle. <laughs> and Jessica Foster-Q's fallen asleep right here on the stage. I should do hypnosis tapes. Oh, my God, I'm very good. Turns out I'm very... Lovely. Good. Now, 
speaking of hypnosis tapes yeah. and other similar you know, apps and things like that, mm. technology. Our guests today are here to talk to us about technology, um, feminist and otherwise. Yeah. Um, ha- do you use technology for anything feminist? Oh, that's really good. Question. Um, I must do. <laughs> Not as convincing as it could be. What's your guilty tech first, and then we'll do your feminist tech. <laughs> God, Not damn. that kind of technology. I'm already really upset. Them. Although the Satisfy Pro uh, is that it's, it's a, that is a technology. That's a technology. Hey, I say, what about? Um, so I use several cal- like calendars. Yeah. This is, I'm not going to, I'm going to reveal myself as being very technologically ancient, but like I use loads of calendars and I think that's kind of, on the one hand, that's feminist because I need to do that because I'm so busy. And on the other hand, maybe that's bad feminism because I'm too busy and all the lists are full and it's a chaos life and And there's not enough rest. Oh, you should be doing more self-care. Yeah. The responsibility now to do self-care in itself defeats the purpose. Oh, it's exhausting. Oh, if anyone else tells me, you know, energy to do self-care, and I'm like, all right, I'm not doing enough self-care. Oh. And then I do some self-care just to unwind from the fact that I feel bad about how little self-care I do. I know. I miss the days when self-care was something celebrities did and normal people just used as a euphemism for a wank. <laughs> so that leads us on to our very sophisticated... <laughs> yes. Academic guests. Yes, um, I, I think I do use some things that make me more uh, feminist. I am very bad at... I have been diagnosed with ADHD, and I'm very, very bad at things like internet banking. It really winds me up. They talk about executive function a lot, which is like the, the ability to do things where you have to put numbers into boxes, and then it all fails, and then you have to do it again, and then you have to start up again, and then your computer crashes. I have almost no... Like, I'm just like, ah! And... So I often, and this is a real I'm a feminist, but I am a feminist, but I often ask my husband to pay things like that for me. I say, no, no, what's wrong with that? If I want to outsource that, that's very feminist. That's very feminist. I, I get a man to do that for me so I can be doing the business of feminism. Yeah. I feel good about that. So I'll say to Tom, I need you to pay this invoice, and not in that voice like I'm Don Draper and he's my secretary. <laughs> Although that could be kind of hot. Um, uh, if you're listening to this, Tom Slitsky, and you are because you edit it, consider that as a role play. Um, I'm Don, you're Joan. This could work. Anyway, this is, this is not about that. Um, and <laughs> uh, I, with PayPal, I can just, like, I, there's various women who, like, just a typical Daisy who makes these cloaks. Yeah. Um, my therapist. Great. Um, uh, woman, two women teach me dancing. And I just really like... Yes, I laugh because you went, two women teach me dancing. That's the International Scissor Sisters sign. Yeah. And uh, I, I uh, yeah, so I just like to be able to kind of do it myself. But also, if someone I know is in need, and if a woman I know is in need, I don't need to go, oh, could I again I get your bank details and blah, blah, blah. I can just send them something almost without their permission that I just know, and then it just pops up. Not that I'm yeah. not unconsented. So you're using money. PayPal to force money upon women. <laughs> that is feminist. There are, yeah. worse, there are worse things Good. to do in the world. Yeah. Uh, so that's made me more feminist. Yeah. And there are other technologies like Instagram that make me significantly less feminist. So let's bring our guests on, because I want to hear from them. Our first guest today is a Christina Gore Research Associate in Gender and Technology at the University of Cambridge Centre for Gender Studies, 
and the Leverham Center for the Future of Intelligence. Just, well done. just that. That doesn't. That was. Doesn't, long, that, doesn't yeah. that sound clever? Yeah. Imagine if that was your job. I know. Was. I know. It sounds. It's. It. And, and it's. It's got a touch. Of, I, I sort of. When I think of things like that, I was thinking of the L'Oreal Laboratory, and that's not right. <laughs> so they, they. They go somewhere in white coats. You know. Um, <laughs> Sniffing each of his hair. I imagine that's what saying happens at the you're worth laboratory. it. Yeah, yeah, she's born okay. with it. <laughs> that's <laughs> the Maybelline. That's the different company. That's the Maybelline Institute. <laughs> <laughs> Please welcome Dr. Eleanor Drage. <laughs> I was waiting for you to come out, and I thought, she's not coming. No, she's here. She's not coming. She's so clever. She's come around, and I haven't seen her. Thought that was the, the polite thing. No. Then she can, and then also her boyfriend can see her straight on, because he's over there. Oh. Our next guest. Our other Were you guests. thinking of the feng shui so that your colleague could be seen better by her boyfriend? That's feminism, That's isn't really it? really kind. In a, in a way. Okay. <laughs> She is joined by a Christina Gore postdoctoral researcher in gender and technology whose research focuses on the intersections of gender, race, and artificial intelligence. Please welcome Dr. Kerry Macareth. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome. Hi. Kerry, hello. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for having us here. Can you make direct eye contact with your boyfriend? Because Eleanor is very keen. You can. Yes. <laughs> Somewhere out here. He's just amazing. He's there. really supportive. He's just, like, just give us a cheer if you go out with Kerry. Yeah. Oh, hold on. That was three yeah. cheers. Yeah, three that cheers. Was my That's part. embarrassing, Kerry. Thanks. <laughs> Listen, we live in a polyamorous world. It's true. It's not embarrassing. I was going to say, but also really cool. <laughs> um, so I, we only said that because you said boyfriend. Singular. Now, Eleanor. <laughs> Eleanor. Um, what you do sounds so important and very, very clever. Can you please explain it? Thank you. I'm with me in mind. <laughs> Given that what I've said is the technology that I use is PayPal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I think we should first say that we are not STEM. I think at the most, we are STEM adjacent. Lovely. We are two humanities people who have somehow found themselves working in AI. Wow. Okay, explain. How did, you, how did that happen? Do they not know that you don't have the qualifications? <laughs> have you, you've do you just on one day went into the wrong room? to out yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because you've got the Good Robot podcast, haven't you? We do. We have this podcast that was, well, we can tell you more about it, but the idea was that we could talk to more feminists working in technology who, didn't, you know, who do and don't work in STEM. And there are loads of them. It turns out there's this, this whole thing of feminists working in different domains in, in, in tech in various ways. And they are lovely. This whole thing of don't meet your heroes just doesn't apply in this area. We've met extraordinary, wonderful people doing incredible work that we can tell you about. And we get to meet you. So. <laughs> well, that thing about meeting your heroes is getting ruined right here, right now. <laughs> Jokes. <laughs> um, yeah. Christina, how would you... Kerry. I'm sorry. You keep Christina, doing that. I keep doing because it's the Christina Gore, because the Gore. Christina Gore postdoctoral researcher, scissors sisters. Um, okay. Ke sorry, I'm quite named dyslexic. I don't know if that's a thing. Are there any clever Cambridge people in that can tell me? The only thing I mix up is names, but I'm also not good at ly knowing lyrics of songs that I've heard millions of times. 
is there a neurological condition that I have? Because honestly, I can be talking to my mum and I'll call her Tom. <laughs> Seriously, all the time. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry. Okay, let's scissors, scissors that out. Okay. Kerry, <laughs> can you explain what it is that you do? Yeah, sure. And so Eleanor and I, were super passionate about making tech more accessible and basically trying to create tech products that don't just include people who are currently marginalized from the use of these products, but actually like help push the whole tech industry collectively like towards a more just and more equitable future, which I'm sure so many of you here are also really passionate about if you listen to The Guilty Feminist. Uh, yes, and so one way that we do that is we work with tech companies and we think about how can we include more feminist ideas and more feminist knowledge in tech production practices. And it also involves things like the Good Robot podcast where we get people mm. to kind of share the amazing work they're doing because I think for us, like, a lot of feminist work is encouraging people to think differently about the world to try and, like, reimagine what the world could be like. And so heaps of the people we have on, from science fiction writers to people who are trying to get this amazing range of, like, global stories about AI stretching back across all sorts of different traditions, like, they're really pushing forward that feminist project of imagining a different world. What, who are some of the, the, your favourite guests and what, how have they opened your eyes? Oh my gosh, that's a fantastic question. I mean, I think just the breadth of the guests has been amazing. We had this 17-year-old now youth activist called Sneha who founded and runs an organization called Encode Justice in the US. And that organization was partially responsible for overturning this um, bill that California was trying to pass that would have allowed the use of a biased and really, really bad um, criminal justice, well, justice in quote marks, software that was racially biased and it was ageist and how it operated. And that was just the power of like a whole lot of super passionate intersectional feminist youths who really were so, um, so empowered and passionate about trying to get a more algorithmically fair and just society. And like that just makes, I think, Eleanor and I so hopeful because I can't imagine doing that when I was 16 or 17. That's amazing, yeah. yeah. How was the technology racially biased and ageist? And what, um, yeah, algorithmically fair. <laughs> if you're listening at home, I mean, Jessica's I wanted writing that to down. Know in, I, I, because I think it would be useful to talk about just from, because there's... I. Obviously, for you guys, who's such clever clogs is about it. I think that's the official term. Um, <laughs> um, I, I need to know how ways in which technology is algorithmically unfair, were it not for brilliant 17-year-old activists changing. And I understand in that instance, then, uh, so this bill was going to mean that people could scan people's criminal profiles and they'd do it with horrible racial and age bias. Um, yeah, so this particular algorithm is called Compass, and there's an article on ProPublica about this, kind of breaking down the algorithm. Mm. This is a recidivism algorithm, so it's predicting how likely people were to reoffend, oh, and it God. was biased against black uh, defendants, and so it was not predicting that white criminals would reoffend. And so this is like a very specific example of like a wider problem, which is that these technologies, they come and they're based on data sets from our really racially unjust, our sexist, our homophobic societies. And so naturally those exact same trends are replicated in the technologies. So something that Eleanor and I and a lot of other people are trying to work against is this idea that, you know, that technologies are inherently neutral. And, you know, there's an amazing scholar called Ruha Benjamin who argues that, you know, these technologies act with like a veneer of objectivity. So they give sometimes an idea that, oh, this is more neutral than human decision-making when these products come from us and so they have so many of the same problems. Robots can be racist too. Yeah, who knew? <laughs> and is it because if a robot is, is programmed by a 
person who lives in a white supremacist world, then the robot can only operate on those white supremacist principles. Is that the idea? Well, I think, I, I think what we're trying to say a bit more about is that systems are all built in a particular time and place, right? So mm. any bit of technology was built by a, a team in a particular country at a particular point in time, and that affects who is going to be able to use it in a particular way. So why nowadays tech companies really think that all products are scalable kind of yeah. you know, forever, and yeah. that's what makes tech valuable. But actually, we need to question whether a particular product is going to work as effectively in different, in different places and different times and on all people. And technology carries with it culture, carries with it language, ideas, ideologies. And that means that if a technology is being made in Silicon Valley and deployed anywhere else in the world, it's going to carry with it a set of ideas. So that has been called colonialist in many ways. Mm -hmm because it, kind of, it, it repeats this logic of transferring ideas from the West outwards, from this kind of center-periphery model. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, that's not amazing, but it's amazingly beautifully put, is what I meant. Yes. Scissor Sisters. <laughs> you know that Scissor Sisters is going to be the thing that he keeps in now, because he finds it funny. Yeah. So all of our mistakes are going to be in tonight. Um, so... How can technology be influenced by feminism? Are there any examples that you can think of where the feminism's come first and then the technology has come second? Well, I'll start off by saying what we do and then yeah. give examples of people who do it better. <laughs> so we that's, work... very, that's very feminist. <laughs> I mean, it is how women have been trained. Let me tell you what I do and then let me recommend somebody else do it. Yeah. <laughs> So we work with a big tech company the size of Facebook and we come in with feminist ideas, kind of Trojan horse feminist ideas into the organization, which feels a bit naughty, but actually works really well because, and this is, this is apparently necessary, because ethical frameworks, so everyone has an ethics framework in AI, it's a big thing. AI ethics is massive at the moment and that means that everyone from PwC to Rolls-Royce has an ethics framework and they're a bit vague Feminism is really specific about the harms that are going on. Feminists have written always about particular problems and attempting to combat those particular problems. So what we try and do is come in with feminist ideas and say, right, how can you be more specific about how this particular technology might be harmful for particular groups of customers down the line? And we get to come with all our you know, feminist ideas and... And that's really exciting. Can you give us an example of some feminist ideas? Yes, absolutely. Because if you're also, if you're saying these are feminist ideas, that's not an excellent Trojan horse. <laughs> no, we don't. That's just a, just a horse. Well, an example then as well. <laughs> you're just on it. You're riding on the, the horses. Probably feminist. naked. You're Lady Godiva. You're, yeah. the, you're the feminist. You're a feminist on the horse. The, the horse itself is a feminist. Yeah. There's nothing Trojan about that. Some examples, please, of the feminists' thoughts, but also of them, of, and then how they get specifically applied. Yes, absolutely. So, also, from our podcast, because feminist philosophers are alive, we got to talk to a lot of these people. Mm. Well, um, there's lots of dead feminist philosophers, but there's yeah. lots of... They're just so hard to get on podcasts. I know. <laughs> yeah. 
You and you try and book, book them, them. You know, you you, yeah. you try and book. They're not interested. Deborah's forcing money upon them. <laughs> <laughs> if they've still got a PayPal, PayPaling, PayPaling money. Deborah's made them posthumous. Mary Wollstonecraft's got so much yeah. in her PayPal account now. She refuses to come back. Amazing it, feminist philosopher. Sorry, go on. Okay, so the idea that I talked about before with the systems being situated in particular place and times, that comes from a feminist biologist, because you can be both a feminist and a biologist, called Donna Haraway. She's amazing. There you hey. go. Some fans of the house, that's Cambridge for you. <laughs> Loving that. And she had this idea of situated knowledges, and it comes from other places as well, but what she wanted to say to science was that Science capital S is not objective. It's not a view from above looking down at the earth and saying, right, this is what the world is like. All knowledge comes from a particular place and a particular moment in time. And the way that you think about the world and even the apparatus that you use to look at the world, the microscope or whatever, actually affects how we see the world and what we see. Mm. No, I'm just thinking of the microscope. I'm just thinking immediately, like, I, I just, I suddenly had an epiphany there. I mean, probably an epiphanette, a small, a small epiphany. But uh, how do we address this, though? Like, how do we fix it? Because I understand what you're saying, and it's right. If you start with a set of principles, you're in a paradigm. Mm. And within this paradigm, all of this works. But this paradigm is already altered because... Or because of the history of the world, it's probably male-centric, it's probably white-centric, it's probably straight-centric, it's probably non-disability-centric, it's probably, it's in terms of gender expression and, and uh, uh, gender identity, it's, it's patriarchal. So how do we, what do we do? I need answers. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this is the key question, I think. And I think, you know, there's so much amazing work in this space, and I feel like a range of approaches are needed. Like, I think, firstly bringing a lot more people to the table who have a much more diverse range of experiences and being able to honor people's lived experiences, honor peop how people move through the world and how we all do that really differently. And that, you know, tech industry and particularly AI, the field we work in is notoriously homogenous and this is a well-established problem. And it's something that, you know, really sadly is actually getting worse. So there's actually less women in the UK computing industry now than there was no. in the early 2000s. So, what? And also Why? that's radically changed since like the 1960s when computing was considered a woman's field because it's considered to be more like secretarial work and if that's something we want to dig into more uh, amazing historical Mark Hicks writes about this oh um, yeah yeah there's all pictures yeah. when the, when computers were as big as rooms yeah there's always <laughs> women running them mm -mm. and then um then suddenly it became cool and men stole all the jobs exactly men yes. went, we'll have that oh this, it was this cool oh we thought it was menial oh you can't have it anymore mm -mm. that is what happened yeah. that's exactly what happened um I think is it? <laughs> Is that what happened? Yeah, great. You don't need to read the book now. That's, that's it. <laughs> uh, but yes. Um... You can find that in my book. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> it's a paragraph long. Um, so how do we shift it? Like, what are some shake it up ideas? What, how do we pick up the snow globe and give it a good shake? Oh, I mean, I'm sure Eleanor will have lots of ideas too. I think one is also like rethinking like what it means to like invent a technology. And there's something we think about a lot, which is this idea of like the genius. So like, I think, you know, the way that we talk about lots of technology, but particularly AI, is that you have to be like a super, super ridiculously smart person. And that it's just like one guy in a lab somehow like produces this amazing invention. So I think like Iron Man in the Marvel 
cinematic universe as like the peak example of like one dude somehow like manages to build this entire cosmos of technology. And yeah. we think that's a huge problem from a feminist perspective because like technologies are always made by heaps of different people across a huge production pipeline. And I think like making sure that, you know, this is a collective process, but also that we acknowledge that, you know, it's not about being a genius, it's being able to make something that is fit for a particular purpose at a particular time. So recognizing the context, recognizing like what a technology should be able to do, but also what a technology shouldn't be able to do. And in doing so, break down this stereotype of like the genius who makes a technology that can do all and be all. Because that stereotype's really harmful and it's really mm. masculinist. And there's a lot of evidence that it's yet another thing that keeps women out of computing, this stereotype of the genius, which is heavily masculinized. Um, Eleanor, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, on the thing of, you know, what technology can't do, technology cannot, for example, read your gender from your face. And right. it's something that, I mean, there's no legislation against doing this. You can effectively be a software engineer and come up with any kind of, you know, model to recognize any kind of feature. But one of the things that we try and emphasize in our work is that AI doesn't so much recognize or identify a face, like biometrics and stuff. You know, when you go through security and you're like, identified, you're not really identified. It's a commentary or an annotation yeah. on a person. So there's loads of attempts to create software that can actually, you know, say, oh, you're gay or you're straight. I mean, that's nonsense. Yeah. But the fact that every time we develop AI or a new technology, we go back to pseudoscience, you know, we go back... Um, yeah. to, to an era where we think that that was possible is, is really oh. shameful. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we say no to that. And then we also say, you know, what can be done? Where is tech actually doing something useful? And we've talked to some amazing people, um, like Priya Goswami, who has an app called Mumkin that facilitates difficult conversations about FGC. So people want to talk about it with their parents, these are incredibly difficult conversations, and it's an app that guides you through that process slowly. And one of the things that Priya said was that, as she's a self-identified South Asian feminist, and at every stage of the app development process, she injects feminist principles, mm, which, wow. which means privacy is an absolute must at all stages, yeah. particularly if you're talking about FGC. And... She calls users of technology participants because we don't just use it. Yeah. We really participate in the creation of the app, you know, all the data that goes back in, yeah. the way, you know, that's super important. So it's a kind of rethinking of how different people are involved in tech processes. Equally, we work with lots of disability activists who are amazing and reminding us, you know, in the amnesia that we have, that, that dis disabled communities have been creating technologies mm -hmm. for centuries. They've been super important in creating their own things or, or having, you know, manipulating a technology to work better for them. Yeah. And so it's not good enough to design technology on behalf of a community. That is not good enough. You have to include that community in the development. Exactly. And in fact, center them and allow them to create the architecture. Um, Tell us about nationalism. Oh, yes, I? Yeah. Um, so part of my research focuses on uh, specifically thinking through anti-Asian racism and AI. Uh, and so I'm multiracial, I'm Asian. This has not been a great two years for us over the last two years. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, part of my work has been trying to grapple with, oh, what does it mean to like 
live in this place and do this research at a time when there's like so much violence against our community and when we're kind of scared for our safety or having to figure out how to like navigate um, the world in this time of kind of COVID-19 and the rising kind of anti-Asian racism. And so one way that I did that was to funnel that into my work and to see how one of the kind of points of conflict between the US and China was is around artificial intelligence and this kind of new so-called AI arms race and this idea that, you know, whoever's going to lead world politics is going to be the leader in AI policy. And so something I think we have to do is like, you know, really tread a very, very fine line between being able to make, you know, fundamental critiques of Chinese state violence and of Han nationalism that's which is facilitating and, and driving the genocide of Uyghur Muslims and other ethnic minorities in China, but also critique the kind of like wolfish politics of the US and the way that so many of these like really important critiques of China's state violence gets kind of swept back into a US kind of conservative policy of trying yeah. to promote its own world interests and to try and like convey China as this so-called, you know, yellow peril. So this is what I work on is thinking about like how does the US's policy around tech shape the lives of Asian diasporic people, so Asian American people uh, in mm -hmm. particular, um, because, you know, unfortunately a lot of that rhetoric then does tend to land at home and tends to affect people, people there. Yeah. yeah. And so is your research in trying to identify it, trying to create policy to alter it or to affect the actual technology itself? So my ideal would be, um, I'm hoping going forward, the project would be around policy and around rhetoric. And so saying, you know, um, for example, like what are the kinds of phrasings, what are the kinds of like rhetorical framings that are really unhelpful? And so mm. uh, I come from a sort of history and politics background. So like a lot of what I do is I look at kind of these longer histories of like anti-Asian racism, of how kind of, US authors and British authors have like talked about China and, and sort of like the Orient broadly constructed and say like, okay, when are we replicating these old stereotypes and these old racist dialogues and, and rhetorics um, from the past when we're talking about technology and then how can we change that? How can we avoid that? Right. Uh, you're doing such incredible work. Yeah, uh, this is great it's, work. It's, <laughs> it's really, it's really, really interesting. I actually, I've... I'd like to take I some questions I've read from. A book. I'd like to, I'd like to take some questions from the audience actually, because I think you guys are going to have some great questions. Um, I only have one question before we do that, which is why does my Alexa never know what I'm saying? Like literally never. She loves my husband. She'll my, answer him anything. My, mine will understand my six-year-old, but not my Scottish partner. Oh wow! But I feel like she just doesn't know anything. And it's just, she always just goes, I don't know that one. I don't know, it's always sarcastic at this point. Do you um, say please to her? Because I do. I do, yeah. Well, yeah. in the pandemic, I got a lot nicer to her because it was just me and Tom and Alexa for a lot of it. <laughs> and I, I just um, thought she was a big part of my social circle. My ex-mother-in-law sent me um, her equivalent of a link, which is a full newspaper article cut out and posted um, from the Telegraph that said that we're bringing up a generation of children to be really rude because we don't talk to our in-house oh, tech nicely. We don't say please. And I was like, well, I'm not getting rid of the tech, so I'm just going to say please and thank you every time. Um, but actually, it's, it's a nice thing to get into. I do, I've, but I always do automatically. Um, it's but, definitely born out of a slight fear that, that they maybe she'll, she'll be less sharing with my secrets. <laughs> I mean, they, they know everything. That's, that yeah. genuinely frightens me. It's recording everything I say. So mm. if, the, if those ever got released, you know, 
Um, if, uh, if those ever got released, is something happening at the back? No, I just got distracted, a... Debs. Don't follow my eyeline. Okay, right. okay, okay. <laughs> Let's get some questions from the audience. Yes. Oh, there's yes, a hand up. Okay, so how much responsibility should be on the big companies themselves to change AI, given we can't really trust their ethics, is the question. Thank you. What's your name? Sorry? Lucy. 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 That's Lucy's question. How much should we even trust them to do it themselves? We're, we're, That's a really, we're, good a really, really good question. I mean, kind of one of the best questions I've been asked this year, well done, including Lucy. the ones in conferences. It's very, it's very good. Well done, Lucy. Very nice. Do you want to host the show, Lucy? Because we've just asked a bunch of questions. Yeah. And it turns out none of them were as good as yours. Um, we've got clipboards. I mean... Clipboards, Lucy. You should be doing this. Um, do you have a good answer for Lucy's oh, excellent no, question? No, it's not going to be a good answer. I'll try. I think that, you know, this is why lots of different areas need to come together to make this work. And we talk to people who work in, in, in legal interventions, who work with GDP, um, GDPR, and um, we obviously, it, we can't wait for companies to take it upon themselves to decide. And, and they will push hard to say, you know, this is not our responsibility. It's not our responsibility that that driver died in that accident. You know, Tesla have been doing this for so long. Um, which is why we need to hold them accountable. And that's where, you know, the public is really important in rallying support, um, in petitioning for change, saying, actually, I do know about my rights, and this, I think, is in violation of them. Is that what you think? Yeah, I completely agree. I, you know, I think, um, you know, also a fantastic question, just, you know, to co contextualize the bar is, you know, the last, my worst question I think I got was, you know, what's the point of your research since feminism is no longer needed and it's over now? And I was like, thank yeah, you. So you're a much better audience. I don't think you're going to get that one tonight. <laughs> yeah, you won't, you won't get that here except by a very brave man who's just, who's looking Always. for a thrill, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> so we haven't had the one heckler yet. But um, yeah, no, I completely agree. And you know, I think on the one hand, regulation is so crucial and like, and it's something where we're starting to see some gains with like things like the EU AI Act and certain kinds of rulings against things like AI powered hiring technologies in states like Illinois. Um, but at the same time, regulation by nature like just has to move a lot slower. And I think what private companies do is they just move at a pace whereby I think interventions at company levels are also really, really important. And, you know, I think we've seen over the last two years a lot of the failures of these interventions. Of course, a huge fallout at Google with the firing of Timothy Gibru and Mick Mitchell being a really kind of stark reminder of like how difficult it is to do this kind of ethics work and how kind of set up these systems are against people trying to make these technologies better. Um, but at the same time, I think we can't afford to disengage from companies because, you know, ultimately they are driving, you know, so much of the development and innovation in this sector. And so that leaves us in a, in a tricky position. And it shouldn't be, it shouldn't happen at the point of the harm. Yeah. It needs to happen at the beginning. And I, it, interestingly that you brought up responsibility because that's also a big feminist principle that's been written a lot about, this idea of not only being responsible, but being responsive 
to the planet, being responsive to each other, and having that connection always in our minds that we're always in relation to each other. I think that's really important and taking that really seriously. It freaks me out sometimes that so much of our life is lived online now. Like if you take online away, we have very little often. You know, like there's everything, you know, book a train ticket or, you know, pay for something or do this or do that. Whatever we want to do is online. Even like dating and things, so much of it happens online. And yet it's, a, it's almost completely unregulated because it's all happened in mm. such a fast period of time. And so we are living in quite a strange time. You know, a friend of mine, her Instagram account got hacked and it's just gone. And someone else has got it and they're like, well, we can't, you can't really prove that's not you. And, you know, but that's your whole identity. How likely is Black Mirror to be here inside 10 to 25 years? Could I be dead before Black Mirror becomes a reality? Please say yes. Well, <laughs> that's my best hope now. Well, I first think that if you're a feminist lawyer, get into AI. Yeah. You know, we were talking about, you know, earlier, this whole kind of pipeline problem. You know, really, if you're a sociologist, a linguist, a lawyer, and you're a feminist, like, definitely work in AI. That would be, right. we need you. Any lawyers in? Give us a cheer. No. <laughs> Fail. I they're don't all, believe you. They're all too busy out doing AI. Uh, that's clearly <laughs> what's happened. You made AI sound like a really great party drug. <laughs> Isn't it? Um, so, uh, listen, is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say before we bring on our final act? Well, on the thing about Black Mirror, I think that it's fine to be freaked out about these, you know, very real scenarios. And Charlie Brooker did a great job. But one of the things we try and do is, I think, certainly in the West, we have this fear of an artificial general intelligence robots taking over, and we've kind of fetishized that. Yeah. It's exciting. We go to the cinema, pay lots of money to go and see it. Yeah. But we also, it terrifies us. Mm. Whereas Kerry and I work with kind of the much more mundane, day-to-day -day harmful effects of, I don't know, a system that might make you have to pay a little bit more for a service, and it's certain populations that are getting a bad deal, yeah. you know? And those are the kind of things that are really important. It's not just those big, scary things. It's the things that really affect people day to day. So it's the black mirror now that people in the 80s would have feared, that we're living, but it's crept up on us. So if you travelled in time with your tech that you've just invented and you showed someone in like the 70s life now, they'd be like, what? That's terrifying. Yeah. And so we have to realise, we're always worried about some future fear for feminism and for inequality, but hey, guess what? It's here right now. That is a phenomenal ending. Please listen to the Good Robot podcast. Yes. These guys are fascinating and they've got incredible guests. Please give it up for Dr. Eleanor Drage and Dr. Kerry Macaras. And please keep that applause going for the incredible Grace Petrie! Thank you, Jess Foster Q! Thank you. Gosh, blimey. Um, so, I have the uh, honour of being an auntie. Um, to Thank you to two incredible, wonderful future feminist warriors. And uh, one of them is, so my, my, my first niece, um, her name is Ivy, and, uh, and I, was, uh, I was at Glastonbury uh, when I got a phone call 
uh, saying that my sister had gone into labour, which wasn't uh, wholly unexpected. And uh, so I drove home and uh, I wrote this song um, about my niece, and my niece is called Ivy, and this song is also called Ivy, and it goes this. It was Glastonbury 2014 And me and my best friend We'd had an awesome festival Then we got a call on Sunday about half past ten And it was back to the camp and it was pack up the tent And it was saying goodbye to Billy Bragg as we went and Telling our friends that we had somewhere to be Someone so much more important than all those VIPs It was your mum on the phone that rerouted us We got a hug goodbye from Phil Jupiter's and then we drove all night from Glastonbury to meet you home When you were ready to arrive, Ivy And I drove until the sun came up to beat you home All the way up the M5, Ivy And being early for someone was a first for me But I thought my heart would burst if you got there before me And all the way home all how I can't wait to tell you this story, Ivy Thanks for waiting for me And I can't wait to know the person you'll become that you like and I can't wait to know the future as you'll make it and I wonder if I'll still be behind a mic cause Ivy maybe one day when you're my age well maybe I'll be singing from that pyramid stage that once I drove all night from Glastonbury to meet you home when you were ready to arrive Ivy I drove until the sun came up to beat you home All the way up the M5 Ivy And being early for someone was a first for me But I thought my heart would burst if you got there before me And all the way home all I thought was how I can't wait to tell you this story Ivy Thanks for waiting for me for waiting for me to arrive and let me just say thanks for not bringing labour on until Sunday night and halfway through Kasabian because who the fuck cares about Kasabian and thanks for not coming during Dolly Parton Oh, but 
leave me I when I say I would have driven right up the M5 to be there when you start living but I must admit that I would be sad departing cause how many times in life do you get to see Dolly Parton like Not that many, <laughs> but I drove all night from Glastonbury to meet you home when you were ready to arrive, Ivy. And I drove until the sun came up to beat you home all the way up the M5, Ivy. And being early for someone was a first for me, but I thought my heart would burst if you got there before me and all the way home. All I thought was how I can't wait to tell you this story, Ivy. And no, I can't wait to tell you this story, Ivy. Yeah, and one day I'll tell you this story, Ivy. Thanks for waiting for me. Much. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Jessica Foster-Q, and our very special guests, Dr. Eleanor Drage and Dr. Kerry Makarath, with stand-up from Jen Brister and Celia A.B., and music from Grace Petrie. The recording engineer was Brandy Lazimbra. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge, the producer was Tom Slinsky for The Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Stuart, Rachel, Gina, Bjorn, Jody, and everyone at the Corn Exchange, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Hello, Guilty Feminists! It's your girl, Kima Bob, here with a special announcement. Wheel, wheel, wheel! Since 2018, I've been producing a night called the Fems of Color Comedy Club. It's an amazing show that platforms comedians of color that aren't cis men. It's simple and it's great. And with the help of the Guilty Feminist family, I'm going to be turning it into a podcast. We're going to be recording live in London in June and July. So come down. And if you can't make it, don't worry. Don't fret, honey, because soon the Fuck It Up podcast will be available everywhere you can hear the Guilty Feminist. So keep your ears peeled for the hashtag fuck pod. I don't know. Is that... Is that a bad name? Anyway, it's one of my favorite things in the world to do, and I'm so excited to share it with you guys. For more information, hit up the Guilty Feminist website or at Fuck It Up on Instagram. That's FOC, y'all. That's an unnecessarily high bar. Now, we're delighted that they did it, but in Cambridge, we might have somebody, because I feel it's that kind of town, isn't it? It's an impressive town with lots of impressive people in it. So if, if, if listen... Cut this out of the podcast, Tom. But if I were in I wouldn't have any worries. <laughs> it's true. Don't put this in the podcast, Tom, because I will get complaints. But just between us, and if you're from I'm sorry, but not for what I've said. <laughs> just for what you've been through. Because everywhere we go in the country, it's different. You know, you've got a Glasgow... The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.